0: One of the things I get asked all the time is, why haven't I lost my hair? But I, it has thinned out a lot. And what was quite weird was, it while it seemed to drop off my head, it was kind of like a balding man. You know how bald men start growing facial hair?
1: Uh, so it fell <laughs> off your head and grew on your face. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, even the kids noticed it, and they were laughing, saying that uh, I was growing rude. a bit faster than my son. <laughs> I've got stage 4 bowel cancer. We're going to talk about everything from my diagnosis to treatment and how things are going right now. Talk about the things that people might be curious or want to hear but are too frightened to ask.
1: That's Jo Mackenzie-McLean and I'm Colleen O'Hanlon. We've been mates and colleagues at Stuff for 20 years. Since her diagnosis, Jo's been incredibly open about her illness on social media and in this podcast, she wants to go further.
0: So I'm just hoping that what we do here can just help people who are on that journey whether they've got cancer or not and make them feel that you know that they're not alone. I'm going to be with Joe every step of the way.
1: There will be tears and laughter. She'll also offer practical insights, support and hope. This then is the story of Joe versus cancer. Last time we talked about your first meeting with your oncologist and the cost of buying the drugs you need, uh, and your treatment plan also included chemotherapy, am I right? Yes. So, can you tell me about that in terms of the process, you know, maybe what surprised you about it, you know, the side effects you were warned about, the ones that you really felt the most, you know, because I guess, um, you know, there's the chemotherapy itself, right? And then there's that ripple effect of other ways in which it impacts your life.
0: Yeah. So, um I guess one of the things that I didn't understand was the amount of different chemotherapy drugs available and all of the different side effects that each of those drugs could potentially bring. Um, And, you know, I guess initially I thought chemotherapy meant I automatically, like a lot of people probably think chemotherapy, I'm potentially going to lose my hair. That was one of the, the side effects that I thought, you know, would be an immediate um, outcome. Uh, outcome, yeah, and um, so anyway. Also, I I didn't realise that chemotherapy could come in f- forms like pills and also through my PIC line. Yep. So, so you port you port on your chest, port, you mean? Yeah. Yep. Th- so they pump it in, and through that, um, and that can take anywhere between oh, two hours to. I was there the other day for eight and a half hours, um, so. Just depends on the different combination of drugs that you're getting.
1: So the day, so the day to so day of chemotherapy can look like what? Like you have a have a cocktail of drugs that you take at an appointed time, or you're a, you have a hospital appointment. You know, you tune up every two weeks. I know you've talked about going to the hospital every couple of weeks. So, what is what is a normal you know like you know chemotherapy regime look like for you?
0: At the moment, it's going to donate in every two weeks and getting drugs pumped into my portacath, sitting there for several hours while that's done, and then... um, Is that
1: that an uncomfortable... You know, like, apart from the discomfort of the portacath, which I can imagine is not insignificant, but is it... You know, what are you doing in that time? Eight and a half hours, for example, is a long time. Are you resting? Are you... You know, is your mum or your partner with you? What do you... How do you pass that time?
0: Yeah, right. So, usually... Uh, there's probably three other people in the room with me.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Three other cancer patients? Cancer patients. And I've either got my mum or step... It's usually my stepdad or my partner because my stepdad drives me there. So it's either him or my partner. And... um, they sit beside me and I get in there and the, the the previous day I've had the meeting with Chris Jackson and discussed, you know, done the weigh-in and go, gone through the blood tests and they do all the other things and then they basically lie you down um, and jab, the, jab a needle yep. into your um, chest and start administering it and generally what I've done is asked for the menu. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because there's quite good a nice. That your appetite menu. remains. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really lost much. I have, yeah. I have sometimes lost my appetite, but, um, yeah. They, there's a bit of a running joke that the kitchen knows that, that I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's and, good though, right? Because nausea, I guess, can be a side effect.
0: Yeah, and, and it does. You know, it has affected my appetite, and. um But yeah, so usually they come over with a pen and paper and um, take my order. (laughs) And... Because I've um, – oh, the, this, the chairs are quite sticky, so now when I walk in they – Like vinyl? Or- yeah, yeah. And so I've been a little bit of a precious patient, and I've sort of asked for a sheet on the chair and some pillows and a blanket. So when I come in now, the nurses automatically just go to the cupboard and bring me the gear. <laughs> I,
1: don't, I don't know that it's precious to make yourself comfortable during, you know, what's a difficult kind of um, – what, procedure for one of a better word I yeah. suppose
0: so I don't think that's difficult.
1: Asking for a blankie in a sheet isn't too much I don't think Joe In an, mean,
0: a wee electric heating blankie too yeah. I usually I love get one those. Of those. I do love those. I actually went and bought one and then I kind of um, I like just to talk to the nurses there's quite bad cell phone reception I always take a book and something to do but I never end up reading it because I'm sort of curious about what's going on yep. and I think because I'm a reporter by nature you know like I'm just generally kind of inquisitive about what's going around um around me. Yeah. What's going on around You're me? Your
1: intene always up, right? For for yes. like
0: yeah. Yeah, I'm watching and I'm looking at who's around me and I'm like, where are the other young people? Because most of the time the people who have been in the room with me are elderly. Right. And a lot of the time I'm kinda like a kid in the corner wanting to talk to people. And yeah. they don't want to talk. No one talks to me. Right. Very rarely.
1: Oh, that was actually going to be my next question around, you know, when you go back, is it the same people? You know, do you, um, in your uh, various appointments, have you, have you met people who are on their own cancer journey or, or is it just like a, you know, revolving door of people who need treatment?
0: Um, yeah, mostly. Sometimes you see familiar faces over a couple of different yeah. rounds and then that changes. Um, one... One time I went there. There was a a man there who I, Michael, my partner, and I actually know from Wanaka. Him his, and his wife, and we've we were on um, had quite a few appointments that that clashed because they were coming in from Wanaka too. So they obviously had their appointment with Chris yep. on a Monday. He runs his private clinics on a Monday. Then the treatment is a, Tuesday. usually Tuesday, yep. and that was really lovely because we had lots in common and we've kept in touch. I, I didn't know them that well, but um, we've kept in touch and shared some um, therapies, like for example, he gets really bad ulcers in his mouth, and he showed me this um, manuka honey, really expensive manuka honey that he rubs into his mouth. So he's like, "Joe, have you tried this?" He's an older kind of farmer guy and who does shooting with Michael. And so you know, we've and his wife they've come to visit me. She's visited me, and so the, that nice. was lovely. So I kind of missed. I really missed having them there when I, you know, the plan,
1: the treatment plans didn't align yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. so I,
0: I really missed that company because. I find sitting there sometimes it it can be quite not lonely, but it would be nice to talk to other people and and know what what kind of cancer they've got, I guess, yeah. and and how they're finding treatment. I remember one lady at the start, she this older lady, and she said to me, you know, that she was meant to be gone like six years ago. So she said, you know, there's lots of treatments out there. That was when I first started going to um, That's probably what you needed to hear. She was lovely. And, yeah, and I was like, that is really reassuring, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, but a lot of the time people just want to get in there, get the treatment and leave. And some of them are really sick and just look like...
1: And maybe not feeling conversational. Yeah. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah, they're not like... They just look really tired and sick. And some days I go there and more recently, and I've been like that. So I can totally appreciate that. Yeah. That's fine. So
1: so um, one thing I've often wondered about people who have ongoing treatment, whether for cancer or for another, you know, conditional disease, but is, um, you know, does it become easier to undergo, un- undergo treatment, like, you know, having needles stuck in you or whatever the case might be, or actually is the opposite true, that the more it happens – the more uncomfortable it becomes, the more you resent it. You know what I mean? Like, is it kind of, like, for me, I hate blood tests. The older I get, the more I have, the harder they get. Is it the same when you have a lot of treatment that actually, you know, your resistance to it is less, or do you develop more of it?
0: Um, I think that, you know, I've had, I've lost count of how many scans and stuff and blood tests I've had, so I think I've got used to that. But there are days that I sort of lug myself to the doctor's surgery to get the blood tests and... You know the nurse comes to get me, and I, she's, how are you? And I'm like burst out in tears, and I'm just Sick over it. being poked and prodded. Yeah, and it's, yeah, I'm tired. My body's tired. Yeah, and it's just I'm over it. Yeah, and and and, and the problem is, I don't have any light at the end of the tunnel you need to at dig, this dig, point
1: to keep going with it. Yeah, yeah. it's
0: like well, this is what my foreseeable future looks like so I just have to I can't change it I just have to keep keep going to the appointments and yep. just keep hoping that you know the drugs are working and um yeah just suck it up basically um but there's days that they getting that chemo definitely the getting the injection is a lot easier but my mood can definitely be flatter some days and I'm just just yeah. I need a bit of a propping up. But
1: all right, so you so you travel to um, Dunedin from Cromwell, and um, in order to get chemotherapy, can you tell me a bit about the logistics of your treatment? You know, how long does it take? Who pays for the who pays for the transport? Where do you stay? You know, what the obligations are of you know, um, I guess your support network in terms of getting to treatment.
0: So my stepdad, uh, he sometimes takes me, and he has to take time off work. To drive me to Dunedin. Generally, I either have to go on a Sunday night or to make my Monday appointment with um, Chris. And then my chemotherapy treatment is either on the Monday if it fits or Tuesday. So I'm usually staying overnight at least one night. Um, And if it's not my stepdad, my partner drives up from. In the cargo, he he has to take time off work. He drives up to me and then we drive across to Dunedin. It's a three hour drive yep. from where I live. So thankfully I've got an auntie. My auntie lives around the corner from Mercy Hospital, so we stay with her. So um I'm very, very lucky because otherwise we'd have to be paying for accommodation. As well as transport. Yeah, as well as transport. And time off work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. And, and and how often is that every every two weeks. Yeah, okay. It's not an insignificant um, financial think, impact. I think my partner worked out it's about ten grand a year.
1: Yeah. Not many New Zealanders have a spare ten grand up this sleeve.
0: And also to take time off work. Yeah. Um you know, and to have someone that can drive me. Um, Plus, I can't drive myself because it just wouldn't be safe.
1: And driving home, like you know, and, and the other thing is, you know, what's that journey like for you coming home, having had Do you do you feel shit after yeah, you have, yeah, so I, that trip?
0: Yep. Sometimes, depending on the drug, there was there's one drug that I take. I'm back on it now, and it affects your. Can give you neuropathy, like pain in your hands and feet and stuff. And also, if you suck in cold air, it feels like you can't breathe and you're choking. So you've got to wrap yourself up. And also, you're really tired. And also, you have might have been given steroids. Your moods are really mm. up and down. It's exhausting. Mm. And um, you know, sometimes I'm achy. Sometimes I'm sweaty. Sometimes I'm. Grumpy. Emotional. Yeah, sometimes I'm grumpy, yeah. Mm. Um, So, yeah, there's just, yeah, there's no way I could drive myself to those appointments.
1: It really just um, illustrates to me that, you know, and I know you're acutely aware of this, but you've got a fantastic support network and you've got in your life the privilege of having friends and family and a community members who are able to... To example, take time off work to be able to come. But you know, it does make me wonder about those people who are maybe in their own cancer fight, who are doing it alone or don't have or can't travel to treatment. Because I guess that's a that's a harsh reality in our country with a dispersed population, right?
0: Yes, yeah, especially yeah, in rural communities. Mm. If I was in a say yeah, lived in Dunedin or lived in Christchurch, I would look I'd look a lot differently.
1: Mm. I know your treatment plan has changed as you've moved along your cancer journey Joe but can you talk a bit about the side effects because I think maybe our listeners might know about some of the obvious ones but I'm sure there are plenty that um, are unique to different individuals so
0: uh, one of the one of the things I get asked all the time is why haven't I lost my hair and that is all to do with the drugs that that I'm on my hair has thinned out luckily i've I've Had a really big thick of hair, head of hair all my life. So I don't know whether that's.
1: You had heaps of spare.
0: I had some despair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but it has thinned out a lot. And what was quite weird was it, while it seemed to drop off my head, it was kind of like a balding man. You know how bald men start growing facial hair? Uh,
1: So it fell (laughs) off your head and grew on your face. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, my kids started to notice this Ugh. kind of thick peach hair fuzz. of my peach buzz. Yeah, really weird. It. And yeah. um, yeah, and uh, actually, I didn't realize it was that bad until I went to the beautician and I wanted to get my um <laughs> eyelashes, eyebrows tinted. I had something on, and yeah. they were really thin, and I just wanted to get made a little bit prettier, you know, yeah. so I got my... Don't we all, all the time. So she tidied those up and then she, I kind of, I was lying there with my eyes shut and I felt her hands kind of go over my eyebrows and then they kind of went Kept down, down. <laughs> down, down, down. And she was kind of went, hmm, w- would you like me to get rid of these hairs along your, your chin as well and your cheek? Your jawline. And I was like, pardon? <laughs> she goes, <laughs> there's quite a downy, hairy area down here that I think we could definitely... Do with waxing off, yeah, and her hands kind of kept going towards my chin, and she's like, and down there, and then down my neck, and yep So she ended up giving me what I felt like was some sort of manscape, like because she ended up doing my mo, like my whole facial area.
1: But I, but I think, um, I think that because you're quite fair, that that is, um, I, I think that might have been coming at you anyway, given age and stage of life and whatnot. So it might have been your introduction to it. But um, because you're quite fair, you maybe haven't noticed it when you were younger.
0: Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. But it definitely seemed like even the kids noticed it and they were laughing saying that ah, I was growing a bit faster than my son. <laughs> they were having a competition who was growing to... Facial hair faster. Yeah, yeah. My 12-year-old son or me and they were like, you're a winning mum. And they were pulling it out and like stroking it and it was quite fluffy and soft.
1: And um, um, so is that an ongoing treatment? Is that on, now part of
0: your ongoing treatment plan? Well... I've recently had a manscaping wax, but my drugs have changed since then. So a, another one of my drugs actually gave me quite thick eyelashes. Bonus. Yeah, that was a bonus, but <laughs> that's changed again now. And I was, and everyone's like, oh, you look, look at your eyes, they look so good. And I was like, yeah, well, that'll probably only last about six weeks and then they're all going to fall out. So yeah. it's it's a short-lived kind of thing. Yeah. But Take the your hair, wins where you get them, joke yeah. Take
1: your wins where you get them.
0: Well... You know, I've, I hardly ever have to like worry about shaving my legs or anything because the hair doesn't grow down really down around there now either. Or so that's a bit of a cost that's, saving.
1: That's a an upside that. I never saw coming, but anyway.
0: But I have talked to friends about my hairy face thing and gone, Oh my god. And a lot of them kind of just what you sort of said before was like, So what? Like, we've got hairy faces, we've been waxing for years, you know. So <laughs> that's what
1: I mean. Like, I, I mean, I yeah, I know, I know people have been, cause, have been waxing their face since they're in their 20s for, you know, hormone-related reasons or whatever. Mm. But I think it's, you know, being there, you've just dodged that bullet to longer till later in life, I think.
0: Well, well, one of the side effects as well from drugs, um, it, it does it can throw your body into a, a menopausal state. Right. So um, they call it chemopause, and I've definitely had that because quite often there'll be nights where I am sweating... I have hot flushes, I'm thrashing the blankets off and, you know, and I, I feel bad for taking the mickey out of mum so much when she was going through menopause because, you know, it is pretty horrendous. And
1: it's and it's a, and it's um, it's not a short thing, you know, either. Like I, I think I remember reading somewhere that menopause on average, or, or menopause can be a decade worth of transition. It's not like you go through a rough six months, you know, it can be, Really brutal for a long period of time, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean sometimes I you know, i i I'm a bit unsure about what is the cancer drug, what is my normal body. Yeah, yeah. just like a normal 40, I'm forty four, so what my body is doing naturally itself, like as you said earlier. this is
1: what's being brought yeah. on by the treatment. Yeah. Um It's a lot, Joe. That's a lot. It's a, a
0: lot to be Well, that that's just a little bit. I mean, there's other side effects too, like um I was on steroids quite high doses of steroids because I'm also grappling with a rheumatoid arthritis and so we're juggling between inflammation. And is that not
1: cancer-related? Is it Uh, cancer-aggravated?
0: don't know. We're kind of not too sure. So I had the diagnosis of the arthritis before my cancer diagnosis but I was told by my rheumatologist after my cancer diagnosis that my type of arthritis can actually be triggered by an undiagnosed tumour. Right. It's very rare, apparently. But, you know, but they being could be, me,
1: They could be connected.
0: I think, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, very rare, but it, that's what are, I was but told. But you
1: are one in a million.
0: <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so I've been on high steroid doses for pain, for inflammation. Um, I have quite bad inflammation in my joints, particularly hands and feet. But anyway, so I was on high steroid doses, which made me quite puffy. You know, and that made me – I mean, I, I was nearly tipping the scales at 100 kgs at one point. They weigh me every fortnight when I go to see the oncologist, yep. and each fortnight I was going up and up and up. And, you know, we made a bit of a comment about, hmm, like a lot of cancer patients actually lose weight, but I was mm. <laughs> going up. But um, but I looked I, – I felt like I really looked horrible. You know, I I really didn't like how – I couldn't fit clothes, and I just sort of felt like I was losing myself. So
1: uncomfortable in your own body, plus you're not liking yeah. what's how you, you're not feeling good about how you look. That's a lot. Um, that's quite a psychological kind of burden, I think, on top of things because you know we're all fighting the clock, or we're, we're all trying to look better all the time,
0: right? Um, yeah.
1: So, um, I mean,
0: you'd look in the mirror and you wouldn't recognise who 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 was looking back at you. You and know,
1: you wouldn't recognise. Oh, I guess is yeah. the most important thing, right? You know, like for you, you didn't feel like. You felt like yourself? No,
0: and I just saw, kind of like, my hair was all frizzy and falling out. My face was all puffy. My eyes looked, yeah. I just, yeah. I just did not. I mean, it's not a priority when you're fighting cancer, but it just, you're kind of like, on top of everything else. It's Mm. like, great. Now, yeah, you know, just Mm. it's just where have I gone? Kind of thing.
1: Yeah, but that I think. You say it's not a priority, but I do think it contributes to your overall mood. And, you know, if we've we've talked a bit about, you know, feeling upbeat and being, you know, that attitude plays so much in terms of the cancer fight. And I think feeling good about how you look for, you know, most people is important. So I think it is, um, you know, impactful on that journey in a way that's maybe not to be underestimated.
0: A lot of people have commented that my skin looks quite good. And I think when, it, don't was, have wrinkles. when it was puffy, <laughs> I think everything was getting pushed out. When well, it filled out, free filler. <laughs> yeah. I was joking to people that, that I was getting embalmed alive, which is like, it was like getting, I was terrible. But it's, yeah, I have sort of got this weird texture. My skin does have this weird kind of texture.
1: You mean because it, it doesn't look, it, it, your skin does look great, but are you saying when you pumped feel it, it feels weird?
0: Well, it just kind of does feel a little bit like pumped out with Plum. something. Plump. It does yeah. feel like. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. I've been blessed with good skin thanks to my mum. But yes. I think, you know,
1: take that to as a win. <laughs> Keep it. Um, so we've talked about gaining weight, I guess, and losing a bit of here, but thankfully keeping most of it. Um, what about, because, you know, you were training for an ultramarathon. So you're a really active, fit, strong person. And I know you've referenced the fact that actually um, on many, some days you just basically have to commit to rest as a priority for the day. How hard has that been for you, that idea of being still?
0: Really challenging mm. because um, not just mentally but physically, my my legs, the muscle has all like kind of... tone? Yeah, oh, gone. It's all gone. It's all um, just sort of quite wasted. You know, I'd walk a lot and bike a lot and, yeah, it's just... My body has, um, yeah, is really weak and um, wobbly. It's
1: hard, <laughs> eh, because you still have the, you know, regardless of having awesome support in your life, you're still a mum with young children and that does come with, like, things need to be done, right? So that must be really difficult for you because looking after yourself is part of looking after your children.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, some days, you know, I have to just force myself to get up and do the basics, and then I sit down and have to have a rest. But, you know, I'm on a different course of drugs now, so my body, uh, my joints aren't as sore, so I'm kind of jumping on um, the fact that I can move my limbs a lot better and I can do stuff. So I've been making it a goal to, you know, exercise is really important. My oncologist has said at least do 30 minutes a day. So... Now that I can move around a bit more, I've been trying to go to the pool. And my friend owns a gym in Cromwell, and she's been working on a a a cancer, a specific cancer program for me. Yeah, Yeah, just to sort of help me readjust. It, It was really emotional going back to the gym. I hadn't been there for since before my diagnosis, and I went in wearing scuffs because my feet couldn't fit my shoes, and I didn't realize how hard it would be. And when I got in there. And I saw her, like she's like, "Hello, Bouncy, hi!" And I, was just, I just burst out just of tears. Cry. I was sobbing, and I couldn't stop. And I'd get ushered to a room, and I just—I was—it was, was really—it was a really hard step for me, and I—I I, I couldn't believe how
1: hard step in terms of a hard step to get back there, or getting back there was remembering when you could go. Both, yeah,
0: both, yeah. yeah. But I did it, you know, and I, I sort of got through it. But you know, even now it's still. I've only been back twice, but yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, it was difficult. I just yeah, I just it reminded me of when I was fit and healthy, and yeah. And she kind of said to me that we have to kind of wipe the slate clean, and you know, I'm coming back and don't have expectations that I'd be going back to what it's I could normal, do. A new normal. Yeah. For, yeah. She's like basically we've got to start treating, you know, it sounds awful, but treat you like you're an old old lady yeah. and you're quite limited on what you, you know, so.
1: So how do you, um, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times about, you know, sometimes you're overcome with tears at maybe moments you're not expecting or whatever. um, and the treatment and fighting cancer and, you know, all the things that happen in your life that changes the way you look and feel about yourself – must all contribute to an absolute emotional roller coaster, there, and I'm sure your feelings can, um, you know, turn on a dime, right? So how do you? Is that the case? Is it an emotional roller coaster, and um, how do you manage that? Because that's exhausting too, you know, like that's exhausting too.
0: Yeah, I do, and, um, but I think I usually lash out at uh, my parents or. Partner. Parents are long
1: suffering, that's what and, they
0: all do. <laughs> so, and I think that they know that the drugs that I'm on are to blame, and the fact that I'm going through cancer. And I mean, we all have had breakdowns, and yep. we'd all just have to be gentle and forgiving on ourselves and understand that actually it's the cancer that's the enemy here, and it's the cancer that's making us a I bit hope. crazy sometimes. Mm. And we just have to kind of accept that there's going to be moments where um, we do. We do break down and we do lose it, but the good thing about my family and my partner and even the ch- children, you know, we just, you know, can apologise and, on. yeah, step, get yeah, get back to it.
1: So, Joe, oncology appointments are now like a you know a regular part of your life, um, and I can imagine that uh, there's a lot of information there's a lot going on in that appointment. How long is each appointment? Half an hour?
0: Yeah, probably. Half an hour? Probably.
1: So um, so when you go to these appointments, what do you do to uh, like either mentally prepare yourself for them or you know, how do you cope? Because, I mean, they're difficult conversations, right?
0: So generally on the drive to the appointment, it's quite good um, time just to sit and talk to uh, Michael or my stepdad just about things that we want to cover off. And usually... We've written a bit of a, a, list a list about questions that might have cropped up or, or, or whatnot. So we kind of go a little bit prepared. Um, usually I'm focusing on I wonder what my blood tests have shown with my cancer markers. You've get, got this number that kind of you fixate on, which is kind of bad.
1: Is that, the, is that, like, the first thing
0: you discuss? No, he kind of leaves it till the last, but it's the first thing in my mind. Right, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's a
1: hard like, piece of evidence, right, about how you're going. Yeah, mm. and he's
0: kind Yeah, yeah, and um, that can go... At the minute, it's the highest it's ever been, so I'm kind of tr- trying to not worry too much about it, but you can't help but worry. Of course, of course, yeah. And, you know... Um, sometimes I've gone into the appointment and just not been in the mood and just said, if you don't have anything positive to say to me, please just don't tell me anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and he'll, the um, oncologist, you know, he'll be like, well, sometimes, sorry, but you actually have to hear this. Or, you know, or sometimes the news is good. Sometimes the Katz and markers have come down and things are looking steady and things are looking good. So, you know... But I I always go in there pretty nervous, and my blood pressure is always up. And you know, I need to kind of be calmed a bit. I'm always I'm always a bit manic as well. You know, like quite often we laugh because I sort of talk about everything but the cancer. I get Mm. I sit down and I start nervous conversation. Yeah, yeah. nervous
1: conversation. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah. I start babbling about everything and. Mm. I don't know what, half the stuff I've said to Chris, but he probably knows way too much about my life because I've yeah. just babbled and babbled and babbled because I haven't wanted to hear what he has to say about my cancer. And then we're left with about five minutes, and he's like, wow. Well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're both the same in the way that we fill a void in a conversation, you know, like um, in that respect, right? So it's kind of like if nothing's been said, we'll just keep talking until <laughs> something happens.
0: <laughs> I definitely recommend writing things out, though. Some yeah. people record.
1: Like like audio record you mean, right? Okay, that's interesting because I do think um, like when you talked about one of your, your, I think your initial diagnosis conversation where, you know, like you're sitting there and you're you're feeling in shock and all you've heard is you've got stage four cancer. There must have actually been other things discussed but all you are taking away from that conversation is stage four cancer. You know, so um, recording a conversation seems quite smart.
0: Yeah, I've never done it but then um, my oncologist, he sends me an email after our appointment that has a, quite the, a thorough debrief of what we've discussed and where I'm at. So, Like
1: it in case you missed it, catch up. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I always file them in the cancer folder and don't <laughs> really look at them too much or flick them to Michael and say, you read it and tell me what I need I'm to glad know. Glad to you've
1: got good digital admin skills. <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to Joe vs. Cancer with Joe Mackenzie-McLean and me, Colleen O'Hanlon. We know our conversations might be a tough listen, whether you've got cancer or you're caring for somebody who has. There's lots of support available and there's information in the show notes. This is a Stuff podcast produced by Chris Reid. You can listen to the full series at stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Kia kaha. Be strong. Prepare for an
0: unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In the human race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. At least you've been in it, it's it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news it's just like You'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The Human Race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I
1: nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been
0: incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevit.